Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you that we are gathered here this morning. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would bless our worship and that you would bless our hearing of your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, yesterday morning, I was sitting around the um, kitchen table. Our son John is home, and we were talking about different generations. And he was talking about how he thinks that Kellen, that's our grandson, his son, that his generation is going to be like our generation. And he thought that was a good thing, by the way. And, and I thought, really? I'm a baby boomer, which means I'm part of the generation born of the, the men and women who fought in, in World War II. I asked myself, I wonder if he knows the other name that the baby boomer generation is given. We're also known as the me generation. Now, that's not a very complimentary name, is it? I mean, it's, it's about the fact that we're, we're seen as having been somewhat self-absorbed. In fact, I remember growing up, self-image, self-esteem, self-realization, self-actualization. Those were kind of the, the buzzwords, right, of, of our generation. And for a long time, you know, um, the TV shows and the commercials were all aimed at us because there were so many of us. And we're kind of known for, for you know, needing to be the center of attention, for needing to be affirmed, right? Some call it narcissism. That's the belief that life is all about you. Well, I have, for all of you who are not part of the baby boom generation, this is also for the baby boom generation because there are a number of us here because there are that many of us. I have a little secret for you. The baby boomers don't have a corner on the market on being the me generation. In fact, I would tell you that every generation since the fall into sin has been a me generation. You see it. Jesus encountered it among his own disciples. It was, it was in today's gospel reading, right? It says that James and John, now in one of the other gospels it says that their mom came, right? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to sit one at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Can you believe they had the chutzpah to ask him that? You know what they're saying? Jesus, you, we want you to make sure everybody knows we're your favorites. 
Give us the big jobs, the important jobs, the, the out front jobs. Put us at the center of attention. You know what the reaction of the other 10 was? The Bible says, and when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Some of me wonders if they weren't indignant because they didn't think to ask first. It's not the first time nor the last time that Jesus encounters the me generation, right? He found it in his own hometown when he preached at the synagogue there, and he read their minds. He said, I suppose you say to me what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. We deserve as much as anybody else, Jesus. Or we've, we've talk, I've talked about this again and again a few weeks ago. Peter wanted to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And the reason Peter wanted to stop Jesus from going to the cross is Peter didn't want to go to the cross. Peter was thinking about Peter. Of course, there's the incident in the upper room, in there, when they all just kind of sit there, waiting for someone to wait on them, for someone else to wash their feet. And of course, there's Judas who decided that things were going bad. He was going to get what he could out of this for himself, and he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And there's Peter who denied him, and the rest of them who fled from him, because who are they thinking about? Their focus is on their me. Well, you know, there's a high price to be paid for me thinking and behavior. Lost friendships, broken marriages, strife, envy, division. Like I said, when the ten heard this, they became indignant. The two brothers. You know, it happens, it happens among us. I, I skipped something. I'm throwing people off upstairs. Sorry. It happens among us. Jesus encounters it at every age, doesn't he? I saw a cartoon this week. It was, the question was, what gives people feeling of power? And they gave this line graph. One said, your position or job, and the line was about that long. Your, your wealth, and the line was about that long. And the third one was, being the line leader in kindergarten. <laughs> so it starts at, a, at an early age, and I remember my sisters and I, I can't believe we did this, we would fight with each other over who had the high privilege of sitting behind dad in the back seat. <laughs> yeah, it gets, it gets, doesn't get better when you get older. I had a, a fellow at a previous church tell me how he had been going to interview for a job and one of his coworkers, one of the people he thought was his friends, lied to him so that he would miss the interview and the other guy would get the interview and get the promotion. That's me generation. I mean, think, how about how many of you, when somebody is upset or angry or, or something, you can tell something's wrong, automatically assume that you're the reason. And you wonder, what did I do now? And, and you think you have to apologize. You know, when I get like that, my wife says to me, Wayne, 
It's not all about you. She's right. Or have you ever encountered this? I've, I've encountered it as a pastor when somebody gets upset because something isn't done the way they think it should be done at church or on some committee, and then they, and then they threaten to quit or they quit because they didn't like it. You know, that sounds an awful lot to me like, well, if you're not going to play my way, I'm going to take my ball and go home. But that's the way the me generation works. You got to get your foot in the door. You got to push yourself forward. You got to get what you want, whether it means you manipulate or, or, or you stab in the back or you gossip. It's all about you. All about me. Like I said, that comes at a high price. You know, I was watching TV this week about the scandals involving the governor of New York. And the commentator said it's a good lesson on the fact that when you're climbing the ladder, it's probably best that you be nice to people. Because if you climb the latter, by stabbing everybody in the back on the way up, you're going to meet all those people again on the way back down. So the question is, what does Jesus do when he encounters the me generation? Well, he teaches us that the kingdom of God is not all about me or you. Listen, listen to what he said to the disciples. Jesus said, I, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. High officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Folks, in the kingdom of God, greatness is not measured by how high you reach, but by how low you stoop. Not by how many serve you, but by how many you serve. Not by the need to have everybody notice, but doing it for other people, whether people notice or not. You know, that scares us, right? We sing about it. We, we sing hymns about service, and we talk about how wonderful it is. But when push comes to shove, you and I are not a lot different than the 12 who just sat there, didn't want to wash feet because they knew whoever got up, he was going to be the loser. He was going to be the doormat. He was going to be the one taken for granted. He was going to be the one... If, he did, if you stooped to do that dirty job, you would become the one that they gave all the dirty jobs to. You'd become like a slave to all the others. Now, who would choose a life like that? Jesus did. That's how Jesus encountered our selfishness. He came into the world to be our servant. 
That's what he said. The Son of Man did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Remember the time when the disciples insisted that he was too important, too busy to take time for the mothers and their little children? Remember what he did? He took the time. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. And when those around him complained that he was spending too much time with sinners. What did he say? I've come to seek and to save the lost. When the disciples were too proud, he got up and washed their feet. And the next day, Jesus paid the full price of being a servant, didn't he? He stood there silent as they lied about him. He did nothing to defend himself when they whipped him. He wore the crown of thorns. He bore the cross. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And he did that instead of worrying about himself or being afraid of how people would treat him. I don't know if you've ever paid close attention to John 13, to what it says about why Jesus felt comfortable getting up to be the foot washer. I want you to look at this. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. So he is secure in his relationship with his father. And because of that, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the feet of the disciples, the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And you know, the next day, he did the same thing, facing his own death. Who did he entrust himself to? Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And his father didn't fail, did he? Because of all that, God has highly exalted him. Given him the name that is above every name. Having laid down his life on the cross, God raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated with him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So how does Jesus encounter the me generation today? Well, he hands to us the towel and the basin of water. And he says... If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He invites us to follow his way, to walk through life 
on our knees, washing feet, and serving each other. Now, that doesn't earn you heaven. That's the way that leads to heaven because that's the way that he went before us and by his sacrifice and his service, he did what nothing that you and I earn in this life could ever do. He earned for us, paid for us the cost and the the hope and the joy of salvation and heaven. And so we live our lives knowing that because of him, we're going back to God. And nothing we can do is going to change that. And no matter how people treat us, if they treat us like a doormat, so what? If they take us for granted, so what? If no one notices, so what? Because we're secure in him. And that means we're free to care about each other, to rejoice when somebody else gets honored in our place instead of us, to help somebody else up the ladder however we can, to let somebody go ahead of us even though we've maybe been waiting longer, to say simple things like, Please, thank you, and you're welcome. See, knowing what Jesus has done frees us from being the me generation, frees us to take that towel and that basin of water and to hope that maybe in our service someone else might meet him or see him, that maybe in our lives they might hear from us about Jesus who loved them and gave himself as a ransom for many. We are free to give up this idea that life is all about you or all about me. And to live a life that says clearly, life is all about him. Amen? Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.